0: So let me welcome everyone to another uh, serious seminar. Uh, Last week, we were off for spring break. And those of you who were associated with the university, I hope you had a pleasant and safe spring break. Um, We're ready to jump right back into this with a wonderful speaker that's been trying to get here for a couple of years now. Bill Newhouse has been working in the area of security writ large for over three decades. He has experience in a number of different federal agencies and departments. I won't go through the entire list of them. Some of them are are on uh, the website here, but they've included service with the Office of the Secretary of Defense, um, some collaboration with the Department of Energy, and for what, about the last decade or so? He's been working with the National Institute of Standards and Technology, uh, helping to run the NICE program for cybersecurity education, and most recently, uh, working at the National uh, Center of Excellence in um, Cybersecurity. So he's going to take this wealth of experience, great insight, and tell us all about it. Let me remind the audience that if you have questions, please post them in the Q&A section, not the chat, in the Q&A, and uh, Bill will answer them as, as they fit in, I guess. So with no further ado, Bill, thank you for being here and take it away.
1: Thanks, Beth, I appreciate it. It's really nice to be here. And, and you did ask me, you probably asked me eight years ago. And then you more specifically asked me two years ago. And then I attended a session in January and it convinced me that you know I had the time to do this. And then of course, real life pops in and you realize, oh shoot, I haven't made my slides, but I did actually put together a slide deck. It's not gonna be the, everything I talk about, but uh, what I want to tell you about is that I do work at a place called the National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence. Uh, it was given to us as a name by the Senator who found the funding. And said, NIST, you seem to know everything about cybersecurity or computer security or infosec or whatever. Why don't I give you some money, and then you can tell people how to do things right? And that's kind of a scary. That's oversimplifying it, but uh, it, it we are essentially an applied cybersecurity center that is attempting to leverage, amongst many things, the the qualities of NIST guidance and standards that are already in use. Um, and so I'll be, I'll be bouncing around between the idea that NIST does foundational research, offers standards and guidance, standards for the federal government, guidance for everybody else to consider adopting voluntarily, and that we now have a center that we've almost been around a decade as well, that, that is aimed at, at producing stuff that will see more cybersecurity happen, more mitigation of cybersecurity risk happen. So thanks for having me. It's a privilege to, to be here with you guys. Yeah, let me get my cursors working. Okay, and so I just I, you asked me what would I talk about, and I said, well, if I'm I am part of an applied cybersecurity center, so if you're part of one, and our mission statement is to accelerate the adoption of secure technologies, which problematically i would say there's no such thing as a secure technology but if you put things together you can claim more security or more secureness or something but anyway that problematic accelerate the adoption of secure technologies is our is our mission statement and your vision is to advance cybersecurity well you know what does that mean I push something over a hill let it roll down the hill now in this case you know nist, is, NIST is, has been in this game for a while and mitigating cybersecurity risk or or, or pr- promoting risk management frameworks is kind of a foundational thing we do. So if in, those, in that context, what do I get to do? What kind of projects do I get to lead uh, now that I'm in my 35th year of federal service? Uh, and I'll, I'll describe that and I'll describe the context by which they get built and, and then let you guys ask me more questions and push on me to tell you and justify and, and listen to you about what you need. Because as students and as practitioners in this space, uh, I, I hear a lot of people saying it's great that NIST says that. It's great that NIST did that. I want to know: Do you care that I've done this stuff at the center? And if it helps, and if it doesn't yet, how can we move it so it will help your specific interest? And uh, there's going to be a lot of interesting challenges. If you want to cheat and do a, a read ahead, you can just go to our website nccoe.nist.gov and 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 don't listen at all. Um, again, back to that accelerate adoption of secure technologies. The more important part here is in the white text. We we are we are set up to collaborate and you know i i also i like I, i'm a, a word smither in the sense that you can just tell i use words really well no the collaborate with innovators well innovators is a tough thing innovation often means somebody gave me something that nobody else thought of in, in this case i'd like to say collaborate with people who have similar problems and help can help us innovate to get solutions to get more cybersecurity risk mitigated to, to, to anticipate. So innovation isn't just the invention of technologies, but it's the adoption and use and everything. So get together with people. And then we're going to try to provide real-world, standard-based cybersecurity capabilities and and that sounds like you can buy something from us. And ultimately you can you can get information from us, you can see evidence of what we've done as we build what I would call reference designs and we demonstrate their functionality. So the part of the, at the end there it says that address business needs is part of the being an applied cybersecurity center is you better have an audience. And so we aim at, at, at sectors in different areas that NIST would have no governance of because we're a non-regulatory agency, but really you know, moving into places, and you'll see with some of the projects I described in a second, places that you wouldn't expect to find NIST offering direct guidance. Well, we, we, we work our way into those communities and ask them if we can help. Uh, this is a screenshot. So, the first project that I'm that an active project that I'm working on is described as data classification. Again, uh, a challenge that I, I face is with every audience is to give you the context of what those two terms mean together and, and then offer you some some fact about this project to let you know where it started, where it's going, and there's lots of buzzwords in, in this description. If you were trying to read it, you'd, you'd notice from the left data centric, security management, you know, those mean things to people who've been in the business for a while, to students that you might recognize that as part of, of, of a lecture or class series, but it often can can mean different things to different people. So in this project, I want you to notice that we have a description of it, high level. We have a little bit more to the left, but this is on our webpage. On the right, in the box, it says, Status Seeking Collaborators. So I will offer a little bit more information about that as we move along. But in that box, the key is that we use an open and transparent process to describe a need for people to bring technology to us. We are a building in Rockville, Maryland off the main NIST campus called the National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence. The federal register notice says, please come bring us your technologies, please offer it to us. And we will think about inviting you into be a, being a collaborator. And then you bring your technology to our lab. And, and we try to use it in a functional way to show that more cybersecurity risk can be mitigated, that we can achieve some of the, uh, the output, outcomes that are expected in, in our cybersecurity framework. Um, so that's that's one project and I'll come back and circle around these uh, in a little bit, but data classification. I will point out that maybe it's not written here directly, but if you click through on this link, if you were on the page yourself, that NIST is focused also now on on the zero trust architecture concepts. it is a, it is a, a term of art by the, the industry to sell you stuff. Uh, it is everything we've always wanted to do, often sold in, in, in one, Contain set of products from an individual vendor, uh, and in amongst the things you need to do to do zero trust architectures is to know your data. So data classification will be a foundational reminder or tutorial or demonstration, all the above and 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 set of ors, that will will help prepare your organization potentially to uh, start achieving zero trust architecture principles and the tenants therein. So foundational uh, is uh, is our hope. Um, I get to work on a cool project in applied cryptography called Migration to Post-Quantum Cryptography. There are three projects that are in this space ongoing at the center. And, and again, notice the little box that says seeking collaborators. Just like the data classification project, I have a poorly timed uh, sense of, of doing things where I'm, I'm, I'm needing to deal with vendors from two different areas of technology, data classification, seeing if they want to join us in the collaboration and now in migration to post-quantum cryptography. You may be aware that NIST is developing uh, and has been working on a process to select and identify uh, post-quantum cryptographic algorithms, the kind of algorithms that will resist quantum, the, 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 the notion that a quantum computer will one day be able to break aspects of public key encryption is has been posited for many years. Don't ask me when that's gonna happen. Some people think it will happen in my lifetime. Some people say no. Some people think it'll happen in five years. Either way, either way, all the ways, um, moving to post-quantum cryptographic algorithms will help to ensure that your data, that your processes are protected even when that computer is, that quantum computer is designed and, and used. And crypto modernization is a, a useful, and time consuming process. And so this project, we're gonna be doing things to help people discover where post uh, public key encryption is being used within the systems they already own, that they're procuring, help the vendors who Put that those technologies into their tech, into their products start to anticipate what it's going to take to use the new algorithms. It's not picking the algorithms, it's, it's that's a different team of people in a different division here at NIST. Um, but this is going to help people get ready. And, and I heard one vendor call this the Y2Q problem. And back in 19, in the late, late 90s, people said, oh, geez, we're going to have a lot of problems because of Y2K and, and two digits used for, for years on, on dates and programs, programming languages and compilers and such. Well, um, a lot of work was done to modernize based around that. And, and all that was probably for the good. And, and nothing really bad happened that I recall on, on January first 2000 we're hoping that if we get ahead of this, we can avoid and help people get to uh, a better place in advance of of the threat being realized in quantum computing. Uh, A third project that's ongoing for me, uh, Spaff mentioned that I'm working with the Department of Energy and it's a small project working with their Office of Cybersecurity, Energy Security and Emergency Response known as CSER to help them uh, take something they already developed and connect it with something that NIST has developed. So uh, I should have left in the right column over here, not the not the acronym for CSF, cybersecurity framework is the CSF in the first paragraph. So we're working with them. They have a, a cybersecurity capability maturity model that uh, energy sector co- companies can run as a tool. NIST has a a cybersecurity framework, which is essentially a a broad structure of functions, categories, and subcategories that help describe cybersecurity risk uh, achieving things that would help you mitigate cybersecurity risk. And and we recognize in the domain that Energy folks might know C two M two, but not CSF, or they've already been sold something, a product that has CSF baked in. And if we can help them understand how these two systems of 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 assessing or understanding your 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 ability to deal with cybersecurity risk, then we've we've advanced the uh, the entire sector. So that's a goal. And there's also a notion that at the time um, that this contract was was. Enrage Agreement was brought up. Maritime or marine transportation system work uh, was getting a lot of focus. It's one more part of our critical infrastructure, and uh, will you will know, we'll require just as much energy as any other operational technology, industrial control, process control sector. And so we were going to we are helping them mature in that space and have developed a what's called a cybersecurity framework profile uh, for in in this case liquefied natural gas, which. Um, I will point out, if you've been watching the news, that if you can't move gas through Ukraine from Russia or around Ukraine from Russia into Europe next year, um, the need for moving gas from the US to Europe would be supported by liquefying it and then putting it on special ships. And that is a process that now we have a framework that would help those organizations think about their cybersecurity risk in a more mature way. I know I offer a lot based on these slides. We'll come back and, I, and I'll show you where to find more if you have questions in specific areas. But these are three projects. So I said data classification, I said applied cryptography and, and energy sector support. Um, you know This isn't the only work. The energy sector has their own resources. They're pushing hard. They're being pushed on hard by our executive uh, the executive office of the president to do more. Um, so Chris Inglis as is our, is our cyber security, uh, national cybersecurity advisor and, and is growing a community of people who who are pushing out through agencies like Department of Homeland Security, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, and Department of Energy as a sector specific agency is is a big player and and they're leveraging NIST uh, because of our our focus on on cybersecurity risk management. And one of the outcomes I just described was that we created a cybersecurity framework profile for liquefied natural gas this offers some words about the importance of it. Uh, for me, I got to tour a facility here. I live in Maryland in, in Cove Point, down near Solomon's Island, Maryland, on the Chesapeake Bay. There is a facility that liquefies natural gas and puts it pumps it out into ships that pull up into the bay, and then those ships take it back to Europe and uh, Japan and uh, I believe India and and. and it's fascinating to see and the, it's, you know, industrial control environments that I'm, I have not worked in until now thinking about this stuff, but uh, the good news is that part of what I get to do here at the center, which I haven't noted yet, is that we have MITRE as our federally funded research and development corporation, really providing a lot of, uh, uh, there there are partners here at the center. And so leveraging MITRE and, and some of the process control engineers they've hired have been part of this project. And I have folks who are at a event, this week called hack the port talking about this paper um this paper a, a cybersecurity framework profile is is guidance and it says that if you read through all the words non-regulatory and voluntary because we don't have a regulatory uh, push over this sector um the department of energy has some regulation space the, the the coast guard has some of the regulatory space in this the ports uh and and the folks who do the ports and harbors will also have stuff anyway the the framework that i've Mentioned a couple times has 108 subcategories of things that, if you achieve, you should feel better about your ability to, to, to deal with attacks and and threats because you you've you've prepared, and a cybersecurity framework in this case has asked experts in the liquefied natural gas industry, to to tell us what's their priority today, and so we have a kind of an as is. If, if you are in the liquefied natural gas business, here are the subcategories you should aim for first based on the mission objectives of the sector. What do they need to do? What do they need to protect as their main line of business? And it helps take away from having to think about 108 things to achieve as, a, as, as outcomes and, and, and knocks it down. Now, that doesn't mean those extra ones you don't focus on should be ignored. It just gives you a prioritization, a way to start. And so these profiles offer a, a window into who you think you want to be or are in your ability to, to address risk, cybersecurity risk, and growing into the privacy risk space as well. Right, let me look at just quick see how long I've taken to say this stuff. All right, we're about 18 minutes in good. Uh, a project that I that two projects that I finished. Um, and this is a sector, this is a sector that was uh, described in an executive order back in 2014 2015 timeframe that said improve consumer confidence. And that means, you know, we have a retail and hospitality sector and in fact it's self organized in such a way that now there is a retail hospitality. ISAC information sharing analysis center uh, that that is pushing on the entire space of retail and hospitality, which is a broad broad based thing but picture you know retail being places you shop online or brick and mortar. And hospitality being resorts and hotels and amusement parks and anything you do where where you're made happy by just showing up and, and, and you know engaging their property their space so. We, we chose to do a project in multi-factor authentication for e-commerce. When we did that a couple of years ago, the idea of, of fast identity online and, and the open standards that it represented were newish to people. And there's an industry consortium that has focused on that method of authentication, those methods. We demonstrated a FIDO server. We had a risk engine that we got from a vendor and we built something and demonstrated it and published a a practice guide. So the words on the bottom of the slide say finalized practice guide, meaning we went out, built something, showed people what kind of risk that system mitigated, and then documented it, asked for public comments because that's what NIST does for everything we publish, it took those comments, tried to make the document better, add to the document if those comments add, asked for things that we didn't include the first time. And then as a final, we're just saying we're not putting more resources into this space at present to work on that particular reference design. Securing property management systems in the hospitality sector, there is a, a giant database uh, that is called the property management system. And, and we offered some ways to to. Basically, put prophylactics around it and support it in a way that it can support all your needs on your property, and also be protect and protect the information inside the, uh, the property management system. Because you could, if you didn't, if you hadn't thought about it, you might um, you might now realize property management system is helping decide where staff go do, do does does their work. It might also be involved with the supply chain of things coming in and out, food, towels, linens, whatever, where people are working, but. Also, most maybe most importantly is reservations and 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 guest information and how that all gets handled, and so we built a system and we offered in building that some some notions of a new NIST paper that is define helps to define zero trust architectures, uh, in a careful way called NIST Special Pub 800207 In that publication, it had tenets of zero trust, the things that you should be trying to achieve within zero trust. It had names of the of the elements and, and the system that a zero trust architecture is composed of. And we spent the time to say, look, this is not a zero trust architecture, but you're, you're closer to achieving it in this product project and we offered that which technologies would be, you know, which component within within a zero trust architecture, and and how maybe to start measuring a little bit about the the the, fu- the functions are being protected, the data is being protected, that you're you're asking the questions that a zero trust architecture asks about: Do I trust this device right now when I'm making a transaction between you know? Uh, data moving from one one device to the next, all those things that happen. We tried to, to give you a kind of a primer into that space and we use the property management system as the example. So that was kind of some fun over the last couple of years. And then uh, prior to that, this is a, a, a screenshot of a page that we call our archive, which, which is things we've done at the center in the first 10 years that don't show up on the front matter page because we think they're 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 a little little closer to being stale, in the sense that we built something for each of these boxes, and the one that I got to do was derived PIV personal identity verification uh, access. So I have a PIV card. Uh, if you're looking at the little box of me speaking, my PIV card is got a it's got a chip on it, and the chip has uh, a digital signature. Um, Certificate and it also has an encryption certificate, and I'm able to leverage it uh, because I can put it into a keyboard that has a, a a card reader or a laptop that has a slot because we still buy those in the federal government. Well, more and more technology has moved to not having card readers. My phone, you know, I could certainly plug one into the the high speed data port on the bottom of the thing, but I don't really want to jam a card into this thing. So drive piv means take the credentials and that. Uh, take the qualities of what lets you have a card, a physical card with those certificates on it, and co- develop a system by which those same quality and, and measurable certificates can be used uh, in a mobile device and stored and properly dealt with for revoking. And, and all the things we do with the, with the physical cards can be done logically uh, in a mobile device. So that was kind of fun. And while we were doing that, NIST was advancing um, the digital identity space with a new special pub 863, which revised the language which revised how we, we communicate about authentication and identities and access management. And, and, and so it offered a little bit of the shift in that direction. One of the challenges with everything we build here at the center is we build it at a certain time in, in time. And therefore, as soon as we're done, many could say that's a little obsolete because they've already moved on to version two and you you built with version one or or the standard for that isn't finished. Well, that's some of the, the, the trade-offs that, that happen uh, in these projects. We have to decide you know, what can we do within a certain amount of time, what resources do we have, and then try to hold to a value statement, which is that we've defined a problem space in each of these projects that compels people to want to read them, that they agree that this is a space they're, they're evolving towards. So some of these are pretty easy. If, if, if you didn't know to focus on DNS-based secure e- secured email, You could open this publication and learn a heck of a lot about DNS-based secured email, see some technologies that were implemented in a laboratory. Um, And and so I actually, if you're going to be, if you're on faculty or going to be faculty somewhere or are teaching somewhere, I would say parts of our practice guides, which is the NIST special web 1800 series that these become, can be great resources in your classroom. NIST hasn't developed them to be curriculum, but I think you could because they're they're carefully crafted, and they they hold on to um, some really good concepts about security and privacy, risk management, and then even the security and privacy controls that are that are relevant. Um, yeah, so so I see the question, and I'll and I'll get to this. But what are some ways serious students and researchers can get involved with the NCCUE? I'm gonna I'm gonna check the next slide. to Make sure. Yeah, I'll use this slide to 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 to, to, to offer that up. It's a great question, I appreciate it. So this is our our front matter on our webpage. We have technology focus. So I have a colleague who's building a 5G laboratory here in the building. And and if you went to the Federal Register, and and at some point I can type that into the chat, you could search Federal Register for NCCOE and see what we've been asking people to come bring to us. Well, as, as students or researchers, you don't have technology to bring to us, but for every technology focused, Project we're working on, or sector focused, we have these 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 essentially the status on the right side of the slide says we we we're, we're going to define the scope. We will send out if for that consumer data protection one on retail. We sent out a description of what we hoped to do back in like 2015, and people could come back to us and the sector specific like RHISAC, which back in the day had a different name, they could re- respond and say, that's a neat sounding project, but you, could you also do this? And so as students and researchers, you can influence how we describe what we want to focus on because we share it publicly. Um, when we say we're seeking collaborators, well, if, that may be better for the researchers who are already involved with industry while they're uh, in, in doing their research. They may, you know, if your academic partnerships you have with, with private industry, you may be able to tell me, hey, Bill, I heard you're doing migration to post-quantum cryptography. And remember, when you said out loud that the first thing you think that project's going to do is discover public key encryption within networks and devices, I know a university program or I know a local company that has built that tool. Then you you would push them towards us, and we would hope to gain them as a collaborator. So you're our extra ears and eyes in that case. Um, preparing draft essentially is a big words for we we've built something. We have to describe it to you, and and then when we have done that, document it all out, we put it out for public comment. So from this website, uh, and I'll, I'll pull up the, re- the live website and show you a few examples of it. Each, you can find the status and they'll, I would suggest if you Googled NCCOE, the five letters, NIST, five letters, and if you're in a class on some topic, You might find that we have a project in that space and if if we're in the area of doing a draft you you might find a way to to say hey can can we talk about this draft in class can, we, can I use it as part of my homework to so that I, you know, we're going to offer comments back to NIST that they have to adjudicate, that I have to adjudicate as a project lead. When somebody says, you wrote this this way in the, in, the, in the project draft, the publication, you can help me fix that. So NIST always puts everything out for public comment, usually a 30 to 60 day time period. And if we don't get enough because we weren't good enough at drawing attention to it, we extend those sometimes. But our goal is to allow people who have expertise to, to tell us that we could do it better even if you just read those and never submitted a comment, you'd learn of a, he- a heck of a lot. Um, but if you submit a comment, your name gets tied to it because we ask you to. You know, it's not something we we want to be uh, unattributable, and and therefore we get to know you. So, in, in getting involved could also be you get to meet other people who care about the same stuff as we as we adjudicate because we may find your comments so useful we invite you to a conversation to a meeting. Um, so there's the whole comment period as we go to pu- public. Final. That's an opportunity. We hold a lot of events and seminars ourselves. You know, we're copycats. So something that you guys, that Sirius has been doing since 1994. We have a a steady pace of learn with us. Come to come to a fireside chat. Get a high-level view. um, Understand where we're going. And I'll I'll get into a little bit of our strategies about where we're going in a moment. so we're about half hour in. I, 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 but, but, but those are some of the the ways. If you, if you want to ask me specifically from that, my answer to that question: How can you get involved? Uh, I'm happy to continue to dive down into that space. Um, we are a brick and mortar building. If you're, if you're close and nearby, you can ask to come visit and get a tour. Um, we need to grow into the space. We do have an academic uh, affiliates program, um, and it's not, it's not really big yet. Uh, the idea would be, was, and and is growing back into being, you know, we should be creating some of this material uh, in a way that it is reproducible and it, all of it should be reproducible, excuse me, but reproducible and affordable for use in a classroom environment is, is an area that if, if we hear from the right students, researchers, and faculty, we might be able to take something and, and help provide a, a push to, a, to a, something that might improve your lab environment, perhaps. So I'll pause there for a second to see if another question comes in, move my slides forward just a little bit. Um, reiterating the approach define, assemble, and build are things we have to do. Yeah, and I I guess I I should say answered. You moved it to answered. Thank you. Um, And then on the next slide, uh, my cursor so it actually hits page down, the notion that there's collaboration through all this is how students and and researchers can get involved. Documenting it as we go along the whole time, well, we ask and we share when we have something for, for people to review and look at, and then me being here is an example of advocate and educate, but we have a strong need to reach into the sector or the industry space that we're we're trying to help. We have a a small a small. We have a. It's pressing to figure out. There's a lot of cybersecurity challenges. What can NIST do? That's in, in somewhat NISTy fashion as a non-regulatory agency. What can we do to to move? To more adoption of cybersecurity that isn't already happening, that people aren't already paying for, or isn't already being built into systems, and if and if you can help us identify those things that you know people still aren't convinced of, as a starting point to a conversation that can compel us to to, to really take on a project or within a project to develop what I would call a use case, um, and, and when we're building and. We're often we are definitely trying to show a functional system and and show you that the cybersecurity qualities that add to the ability to mitigate cybersecurity risk can be measured through technologies that are built into the into the system that we verify that the step happened. So if I, if I told you that risk engine needed to tell the um, the FIDO server that you need to now ask for a second factor because the risk looks high, we we functionally show that all happens. Um, by way of metaphor, we, when we build these projects and look at that assemble part, assemble teams, and, and assemble includes getting technologies into our lab, our Federal Register notice will say we need somebody in, in a metaphor space, as you know, as, as an analogy. We're building a car. We need steel belted radials because we want to drive the car on the highway for two hours at 55 miles an hour, and we don't want the tire to to rip apart. And steel belted is the minimum requirement we think is a good standard to follow. So that's an example of the standard driving what we need. Now, <clears throat> when we put that Federal Register notice on, if Goodyear and BF Goodrich and Cooper and any other tire manufacturer sent in we'd like to participate i only need one set of tires and i only need them to be steel belt radials we're not going to be consumer reports where we take 70 in and we say these are the best five and these are the next best 10. we're going to take one in we're going to say functionally how it needs to to, to work and we're going to tell you how we, we we verified that it functioned as expected and then if you say well i don't have bf goodrich i've got good year you can replace it as you try to, to build what we've built Um, I'm sure I'm I'm bouncing around in in concepts that you're like, wait, what did he just say? Um, So Indiana has had a 5G lab that that has projects in security. Um, Yes, so NCCOE can partner. Now, what we need to connect our lab to is another lab could be part of that potential collaboration. Uh, The other thing it could be is just what have you done in your lab could inform us and vice versa. So, So that would be great. Every one of these projects has a community of interest. I can introduce you if you're the 5G Indiana lab person with our 5g lead and you guys can find out is there synergy between what you're doing and and, and what they're doing how can you benefit from each other Uh, speaking engagements things like that it's all open to the possibilities so that would be good to know more about and and my email is just newhouse at nist.gov n-e-w-h-o-u-s-e at nist.gov it'll be in the deck that you can get later and it may already be on the, the page you can reach out to me directly with that cool so i'm gonna throw a few more things about the NCCOE that we believe we, we, we hold to. Standards-based. Now, for one project, the standard was FIDO, Fast Identity Online. It was the FIDO2 original early standard for en- enabling multi-factor authentication. And, and, and they've moved on with, with additional standards and, and we could build more. We have We have done other work with other parts of FIDO in different builds, but in mine, that was all we did. But standard-based also could be a best practice. And and the best practice that we often land on is the NIST Cybersecurity Framework. So I hope you've you've bumped into it at some point in your career, in your studies. Uh, it, it is a it is a useful conversation starter for talking about mitigating cybersecurity risk. And and it has a lot. I'll say, it I should have a slide up. I can get one later. But the idea of of, of it tells you 108 things you might want to do. It doesn't tell you how to do them because NIST can't know that about your individual organization. So we leave a lot of room, what I call to the right of it, because I'm English speaking, left to right reader. Subcategories here, off to the right, we can list other standards that are relevant. We do that. We call those online informative references. Good. So now maybe we've connected you with a standard that's in your industry space you care about. So we've affirmed something perhaps. The next thing that happens in the cybersecurity framework is, is, well, what tools do that? Well, NIST is not involved in saying this tool does this better than that, but you can make those decisions and then you can answer back to your chief financial officer or your CISO, hey, this subcategory says we should be doing these things and we have two tools that do most of those things. We feel pretty good about ourselves. A smart clever person could also say, but that doesn't guarantee anything. And they're right. Risk risk mitigation and risk management is not absolute. It is, it is a it is a commitment and it is something that uh, the cybersecurity framework allows you a language to then communicate maturity, how far you're willing to go, where you need to go next, things like that. So standard-based can be just a framework and we offer a lot of that. Standard could be an international standard that says implement DNS-based email security this way because that's that's the way the uh, the, the, the IFC says to do it you know, and, and go for that or the IEEE standard. So that's possible. Modular, we hope that as we build stuff that you could extract from a build build a certain thing like a server and go, I can do that too. That's harder to prove when we put it into 200 page PDF documents. Um, So we're trying to build a new tool tooling system that would let you extract some of our work faster and better repeatable. uh, If we built it, it didn't happen because we're special magic unicorns. It happened because we followed a, a recipe that we offer to you so that you can, you can make the same cookies we made. You know, we know that, you know, that, that's going to be difficult because you may not be able to afford the equipment that we used. But we give you a full list, and 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 the idea is that it's not magic. It's 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 hard work. It's careful work. Uh, commercially available. We're not here at the center to to build things that. Aren't available to everybody to to get their hands on, and that can be we can move that ar- that that window a little bit, but we're not we don't want people coming at us with their silver bullet. We have a new thing that that hasn't been tested, isn't part of a standard that they're trying to patent, so that they can you know own the market. It, commercially available means that if if we bring it in here and build with it, that that you could find it too if you had the means to buy it. It's not it's not hidden. It's not uh, it's not uh, the kind of protected you know venture capital. Uh, Backed thing that says we're not showing it yet because it's not done, uh, usable. That's that's to be proven to us, and this is where a good area for feedback. If you do start reading our publications, please complain vigorously. If you find them to make if if, if all they do is make you fall asleep, then we need to write better. We need to we need to pick a new methodology to get this stuff in front of you because as you already know, it is hard to communicate all the nuances of cybersecurity, security, information security, information assurance, privacy. Uh, And so we keep grabbing frameworks to squeeze it all together. Well, we wanna know, does it resonate? And so usable, clean, easy to to follow. Um, How many people have read the full car manual in in their glove box if you own a car? I I go there when that light comes on the dash that I don't understand and I go to the appendix and I look at indicator lights and it says oh you can just push this button for five seconds and it'll, it'll go out. Problem solved. Well, that that implies that, you know, people don't really want to read their manuals anymore. And if we keep writing manuals, we're going to, we're going to, we're not going to convey what we want to and open and transparent. I mentioned our processes are described, put out for public comment and and dealt with that way. So those are the constraints under which I get to build stuff. And, And that's challenging. The open and transparent part means I also have to, um, established cooperative research development agreements with these with the companies that bring us technologies. And so every time I'm ready to start, there's always like one more or two weeks before we get that signature kind of moment. And then once we have the technology together, um, getting it done in a timely manner and publishing it without too many verbose words uh, to, so that people can use it, if we take too long, we can be beaten by, by progress. You know, if it takes us a year to show you zero trust architectures, I bet you will have 47 vendors trying to sell it to you if you were part of a company that was looking for a zero trust architecture to build. Uh, reiteration of our sectors, make sure any new questions. Oh yeah, and Doug, you're the one asked the 5G question and you know how to reach me. Um, I've done a bad job of describing publications in, in any detailed way, but on the left of this picture, NIST Special Publication 1800. Those are the new, that's the designation for stuff that comes out of this center where I work. We've also put out guides and tip sheets and 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 draft and, and final NIST informational reports, NIST IRs. So, and, and we've created videos because we think that if you need to convey why this is important, a video might do it faster than, than me speaking for now 40 minutes. Um, so that, that's that's amongst the possibility, and we have a, a a web that library link probably still works, but we did update our, our website probably since this slide was built. Um, and then back to that question of researchers: Can you get in, How can you get involved? Uh, if you if you have an idea and you say, it "Would be cool if you could build this," we're, we're happy to hear it. And and especially if it supports a sector that is vital to our economy, or our safety, or our lifestyles, great. It, 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 Big or small, you can you can you can send them our way, and and frankly, we should be sending you know a lot of them out your way to think about in classrooms. Um, we can discuss challenges in environments like this. Do it more interactively. Be on panels together, uh, things like that. Contribute to publications. I already talked about. You can submit comments and help them make them better. And by doing so, you start to pull yourself into an environment of of the careful crafting of guidance and documentation that NIST is is known for, and and then. There are ways if you're a technology provider to participate in a project. If you care about a particular sector, you can join our community of interest and weigh in whenever we offer offer the opportunity, we will convey stuff to you. And occasionally we'll hold workshops and things in those spaces. So that last part about joining community of interest could help you participate. I'm going to pause there just to see if anybody wants to throw into the into the q&a the question and answer box something that they're like totally puzzled by because i spoke so fast and then i'm going to i'm going to talk a little bit about the the bigger context of nist just so you have a sense um, that i'm going to push that all of you should be tracking something about nist and vice versa in a way that you know because we are we are a non-regulatory agency which gives us a and has a long we have had a long history of providing guidance and standards. And when when I worked at NSA through the early in the mid aughts, you know, two thousand three, two thousand five was the first time I really had a job that said information assurance on it. Before that, I had been a telecommunications engineer, and I was using bulk encryptors to, to protect data so that we had plain text inside a, a, a secure compartmented building information facility, and we had cipher text that nobody could break going across you know commercial pipelines. When I got to do the information assurance stuff, um, I then started doing interagency research work, where just communicating what, what's happening from different departments, different different agencies, different parts of our our executive branch, and I kept meeting these NIST people, and they they were doing the same a lot of the same work that I was aware that NSA people were doing. And I thought that's weird. I I eventually rightly learned that there there has been a historical divide between committees for the national security systems and the non-national security systems of our government. And NIST had the responsibility for the non-national security guidance and standards that had to be followed. And, and Federal Information Security Management Act pushed NIST to, to provide more of that. And all that good work has been voluntarily adopted by industry over time. I'm going to be describing a little bit about different divisions that might be interesting to you in your career as you move forward. So I don't see another question come in. I'll I'll continue where I'm going. Um, NIST is part of the U.S. Department of Commerce. That's an executive office of the government. You have the Department of Homeland Security being another example. You have Department of Interior, the Treasury Department. You've got uh, Department of Defense. You've got uh, Intelligence Community that, you know, and so each of these are different parts of the executive branch. So commerce in doesn't show here, but commerce has things like uh, the NA- NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric. Gosh, I should have that one better in my head before I get there. We have the Census uh, Bureau. Um, NIST sits on a street called 100 Bureau Drive because we used to be called the Bureau of Standards. And many of the commerce um, sub agencies are bureaus. And that's kind of cool, sounds kind of old fashioned. I guess somebody decided to rebrand ourselves and and they did in the the late 80s, early 90s. And and we became NIST. Um, Look at the six boxes in that bigger circle on the outside where I say there are other NIST laboratories. Out in Colorado, we've established a communications technology laboratory that's doing work on, on first responder networks and public safety networks and, and communication technology writ large. We have an engineering laboratory that can focus on things like hey, was that steel that was in, you know, well, I wouldn't use that one. Engineering lab can do things like. Testing of materials that are being used to build and and support our our, our infrastructure, uh, fire safety, lots, any, anything engineering. I'm gonna do. Despite being electrical engineer, I'm doing a lousy job of telling you that in the engineering laboratory, if there's a need for a standard or or a measurement, that engineering laboratory can do that. Materials measurement laboratory supports a lot of the uh, measurements that are needed by uh, the the medical and uh, like National Institute of Health and Cancer Institute and the things we need to do down at that small level of of understanding what's happening inside us as organisms and and the materials and the fluids and things that we deal that's a really bad way of saying MML but material measurement is down at that small level often focused on on health aspects and and support to the things uh, you know pharmacology and other things that would need to be measured physical measurement laboratory as apply as, as it sounds would be the kind of place where if we needed to really redefine the crypt, the cage that the, a, what a kilogram is or a meter that you know to, to make our society function better to make manufacturing happen better the the physical measurement laboratory focuses on it and then we have two cool places where you can where, where you can bounce neutrons off materials or you can do um, nano fab stuff and those are user facility labs where some people win you know, Nobel prizes who work there. And it's kind of neat to be able to walk down the hallway and bump into somebody. Um, cool. So I'm gonna quickly read the question. This emphasizes open transparency as well as making the framework accessible commercially. What measures do you take to protect the integrity of, of your cybersecurity framework and account? Okay, that yeah. It's a, I'll let you guys read that Q and A as well. I'm, I'm gonna to try to read some of it, most of it out loud. Um, that, when I talk to the right of the framework, there's a lot of room for you to figure out what to, you need to do. NIST is unable to go there. Um, and so the question of, of if, if, am I grabbing a resource from NIST and do I know it's written and accurate and right, um, that. Had popped up in our space of the National Vulnerability Database, where we score vulnerabilities along with a, a bunch of other entities, including MITRE. Uh, are we giving people the right data? Is it is it, is, it, is the integrity involved? And so some of that will be formalized into you know signed. Uh, Code that will have a value that you can verify as you as you take it from us. The framework itself right now isn't that fancy and, and formal. The the words of the subcategories are are on our website. You just Google NIST CSF, and it can be given to you in a, in a format that's a spreadsheet. We are building more online informative references which uh, focus on mappings to the framework, and and eventually th- those aren't cryptographically bound in a way that makes sure that the the words coming to you are are you know are the ones you expect to get at, at this point. We haven't seen too much threat of, of people spoofing it. You can probably still go to Amazon and find somebody who wants to sell you the framework for a thousand dollars in a book. Don't do that. You know Everything we do is put out for public use. And then the question, potentially I'm, I'm making your question fancier, Julian, is that, you know, there's, there's an integrity aspect to everything we do that if we find it being abused, or if anybody notices, we want to know. And if you know, that's going to be a growing problem, you know, fakes and, 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 and copies and, and I'm, I'm forgetting all the good words in that space. But, it's interesting to have to put security on top of something that's aimed at security so that people can know they're getting an integral kind of thing. So it's an interesting conversation. And we're, we're coming up on the, the timeframe. I want to stop and let you guys all ask questions. Um, I was trying to give you a big context of, of NIST. We have an information technology lab and ANTD, Advanced Networking Technologies Division, is places where like secure BGP, Uh, Standards will be talked about and how to adopt them. And IPv6 was advanced through that office. Computer Security Division is where our 800 series come out of, where where Ron Ross works, doing RMF with Vicky Piloteri. So risk management frameworks come out of there. That's the office that includes a, a a group that's the cryptographic tools office, and they're the ones leading the charge to get to the post quantum cryptographic algorithms. Which I expect you'll see a paper this month that is a draft of the of the selected. Uh, algorithms which means the draft is the start to the next argument how to how to you know fi- formal get that to final will be a fun year long at least a year long effort and then getting those algorithms in use will be part of what i'm supporting and take decades um, information access division has been focusing on years for years on on text retrieval video uh, aspects of 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 you know the quality of, of usability things there's Julie Haney and, and her colleagues are are focused on security usable security and security usability and and you can if you put those in different orders you can take a different emphasis software and systems division has a, 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 a whole uh, focus on on software assurance uh, as as well as we do within within the information access division where we have a software security software s- security development framework um, so we, we, none of these are perfect line, you know, um, stovepipe efforts. There's a lot of cross work anyway. And then we also have a math and statistical engineering division, which underpin all of NIST science. Um, as you can tell, I've got way more stuff to talk about than, than I could ever get to. There's a journey that is implied by this picture here that says we care about these areas the most-ish. You know, and that's that's a fancy word to say, all of these babies we love. Spaff mentioned that I worked on the National Initiative for Cybersecurity Education. So we, we we do have a focus in that space, defining a framework, defining competencies, defining eventually teams and, and what the kind of things we need to be able to do together to, to support our cybersecurity and privacy needs. And, and I, I like to say our privacy and cybersecurity risk mitigation um, you know, needs. Identity and access management is core. To, to And if you can't do that, you're, you're not going to you're not going to survive long if people can't trust that the, who you are and what you are and what it is is happening as you interact with the systems. That's obvious. Metrics and measurement. This is one area where you might say, "Boy, NIST says it's the National Institute of Standards and Technology," um, and and you call yourself a metrology organization. How come you don't have all the answers about how well we're doing and 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 stuff? And that's it's really hard because we often don't have the, the the denominator, but we can give you lots of numerators. Um, these are probably parts of classes you've had where you know you can know so only so much and so a lot of what we still say is get foundationally ahead of the game by doing authentication and identity and access management correctly, and then you, you eliminate one one set of problems that now you can focus on other things. But that doesn't often serve. If we're telling you 108 things to do and each of those could have 75 different tasks within it, which one to do first is, is still gonna be overwhelming to you. But we're trying to be the organization that's helping to, to figure this space out as time goes on. Trustworthy platforms, um, privacy, we have a framework for that now. Uh, emerging technologies. Well, some might say IoT is an emerging technology. It's emerging, emerging just continuous growth, exponential growth and use. But there's other emerging areas of artificial intelligence and the security and 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 bias and things like that that NIST has papers on. The cryptographic area has been a strength of NIST forever and will continue to be so. Trustworthy networks falls into that uh, 5G as a do we trust it? It also falls into um, you know. The, the push for zero trust architectures. And there's a big wide federal push on it. And NIST has been involved in developing the foundational how do we communicate this stuff so we can start to leverage it. And then risk management really is the outcome of all this stuff. Is if you do things you can then start to address and say, I do stuff, I do I do risk management, which is the ultimate end. Now, how that connects with exactly where you're studying. I think back to the the push I said earlier, Google NIST and what you care about. And if you can't find something, I'd be surprised. But if you find some stuff, I'm happy to introduce you to my colleagues who lead that space. They're always open to talking and learning and and connecting. and, And we want to know that what we produce is is useful and vital and we we think it is. So I'm going to pause and stop there. It's been a, a good 52 minute ride and I didn't get to to show you a live website which is probably good cuz like, you know, don't do don't do live theater with kids on stage and you'll fail. Don't do live theater with websites cuz you'll fail at some level, but we we everything we do is transparent and findable on the web. So with that, uh, I'll pause again and see if anybody was inspired to to push ask a question, no more. Thanks,
0: Bill. Let's see if anybody has... You packed a lot into those 52 minutes.
1: Yeah, that's the danger, right? Because <laughs> yeah. we're verbose in this. I use that word too often, but it's it, it if we keep writing it and, and you just go to YouTube videos, are we supporting your needs?
0: Well, I would encourage members of the audience, if you have not read some of the NIST publications, the 800 series, for instance, uh, to get some of those and look at them, they're exceedingly well done, uh, very clearly laid out and kept up to date. There are a lot of them, however, so sometimes it's difficult to find exactly the ones you need, but um, they're they're easily found online and they're really valuable resources.
1: Going to be dangerous. And I, I do, I, I wanna show you at least one of them um, and, and a tactic that I wanna offer. So I told you we did something in, 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 in consumer data. So I'm gonna click into that project and securing property management systems. I didn't get to pick the design of the website, which is good because I I would just want it to you know give me the answer that that I'm looking for. But you can go to a a complete guide online as an HTML document, as a PDF, uh, and or you can click individually in it. I'm going to pull up the complete guide just to to have it on the screen. I get to put my name on the top. That's the cool part. There is a thing called a volume A. It is designed to to describe the project the problem space what's the challenge? What's the solution? How do you, you know, what's going to happen next if you keep reading, if we've convinced you, and then who we worked with. And intriguingly, the collaborators uh, will will be listed. And if it's, let me see, it didn't show up. Um, They'll, they get their logo in a NIST pub, which is unique. Then I get to volume B and let me pull that up. And I apologize. You're going to get a headache trying to keep track of me. We have a lot of, we have a lot of boilerplate language, but you get to, Mm, I'm not going to like this one as well. Why isn't it showing me the table of contents the way I want to? Let me pull back. Again, I told you I shouldn't do live demo. So, Spaff, you can stop me if you want, but uh, there's, a, there's a strength to looking at our table of contents in a document. Let me pull up a different version so I can get you a better table of contents. And why I say that is because I'm asking for your attention for any of these areas, and you need to make a quick decision. Do I have time to do this? And so if I go to the table of contents and I go, okay, what is what is what's going to happen in here? Well, I, I'm I'm going to be pushed and pulled. I'm going to see that there's use cases. And, and start to understand quickly, oh, why would I bother reading this? You know, and then if the tables and pictures and the security characteristics, you start to get a language here that you might decide is worth the time. And I, I think it is, Beth. I appreciate you noting that you know, 800 series are vital. They have a similar table of content structure that will give you the inf- information. There's always an executive summary. You don't have to spend too much time, but you can spend a lot of time and learn a heck of a lot.
0: Definitely, definitely. NIST is a, a, a kind of a gem in, in the space and in government, um, it, it uh, does a lot in the background, some of which Bill has touched on. And um, you know we, we pay a lot of attention to DHS and the DOD, uh, but, but NIST has a tremendous amount of expertise here. As he noted, they produce Nobel prizes out of their labs. They produce standards that really power industry around the world. When we talk about things like standard cryptographic algorithms or the cybersecurity framework, that came out of NIST. And so it's one of those things that, unfortunately, um, when Congress needs something that they don't want to dump off to the Department of Defense, they give it to NIST, but they don't give NIST the money to do it. And NIST still finds a way to make it happen. Uh, The NCCOE is a, a... a tremendous addition to the things that can be done through NIST. And so um, hopefully you've gotten a sense of that from listening to this talk. If there aren't other questions, I think what we'll do,
1: up. Oh, what just came up there. Let me get back to the screen so I can see it. Where'd it go? Can you read it aloud? Because I'm not get, I'm not seeing sure. that box anymore. Give me a second. Do
0: NIST cybersecurity guidelines have any issues with using open source tools or freeware? Um,
1: there, we can use open source tools, uh, we have to be, we, we do it, you we know, engage the lawyers a little bit to make sure, you know, the the true open sourceness is of it. And, and then the question sort of also could be, hey, I told you we have people who care about software assurance. Are we following a, a, a best practice to do to note something about the quality of an open source environment? There have been funded efforts within government and and there is a lot of focus now on software supply chain that uh, I think will we'll take that open source question and give us a step-by-step checklist of things to do before you, before you commit to its use in a, in a government system. In our lab, we have a little more latitude, but we'd have to be, you know, yes, we can, we can build with open source. Um, we need to be compelled that that's a good thing to do. And and there are some open source things. Yeah, I, I'm going to talk around it in circles, but it's we're not we're not. Uh, it, it 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 is possible. Yes.
0: Um, what role does this play in the development of CMMC?
1: So trickily, uh, trickily, fancy word. Um, my colleagues in our RMF risk management framework office. Ron Ross, Vicki Pilateri, I mentioned their names, they put out documents like, uh, you know, controlled but unclassified information guidance. And, and so if I'm on the publications page, and if I typed in CUI, I think it'll come up. Let's, let's double check. Here are papers that are in that space. We have a 172 assessing enhanced security. We have a 171 that was pro- protecting controlled unclassified. These documents are the basis of much of the CMMC guidance, actually, sorry, CMMC is cybersecurity maturity capability. Cybersecurity maturity. I'm going to mess it up. Uh, it's the DoD. We're going to push on contractors to show us that they're doing more cybersecurity, that they're they're not adding risk to our 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 supply chains. Because they're working with us, and these documents that have been published by NIST as non-regulatory are being made regulatory by the Department of Defense. So it's it's a bit of a one degree of separation model. We we carefully write the standards, we get people to agree that they're rational, and make sense, and then the DoD gets to, to do whatever it takes for them to make it a compliance uh, process, which can be painful and and make make people cranky. Did I say that out loud on a recording? I yeah. think I did. Yep. There you go.
0: But Um, Thank you, Bill. Uh, And for the members of the audience, uh, next week is the uh, 24th uh, Sirius Symposium. And we have a number of speakers that are lined up. They're not going to be live. The Wednesday seminar speaker will be Richard Clark, uh, and that will be webcast, but he's also going to be speaking live Registration for anybody uh, affiliated with an educational institution is free, but you do have to register to be able to attend. We would love to see people show up. There are gonna be a lot of great talks, demonstrations, panels, um, and, and other material. So we'll either see you at the symposium or we'll see you here at the seminar next week. And once again, thank you so much, Bill, and I look forward to seeing you in person at some point.
1: Indeed, that'll be fun. All right. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Bye, everyone.